You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. So today's scripture reading is from Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and it reads, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. It is great to be back together after being held at home with snow over the past uh, at least couple weeks. If we've never had a chance to meet before and uh, I get the joy of being one of the pastors here. Uh, just some administrative things as we get ready to jump in. So uh, the way kind of the snow days factored into our preaching schedule kind of rearranged some things. So Brian had already prepped uh, the last part of chapter six on anxiety. And uh, schedule-wise, though, he wasn't able to uh, preach this week, uh, but he is going to hit that passage a couple weeks from now on March 7th, and we are going to jump ahead to the first two sections of Matthew 7 as we wait for that. So we're a little bit out of order, but we will circle back to the passage that we missed last week. Secondly, I'm going to give this announcement twice just because it's an exciting one, and I want to invite people to perhaps be able to participate if the Lord might be leading you in that. So uh, among the uh, difficulties that New City has faced over the past year, one of the things that is thriving right now is a little youth ministry we started at the Georgetown South Community Center that meets on Thursday nights. We've got something like, on a good night, 25 middle schoolers who are showing up. Uh, We hang out, we eat together, we have a good time. And just personally, like my highlights of the week, I love love seeing y'all here, you know, with your Bibles open, listening to God's word. Probably my top, like, highlight uh, of the week are these three 13-year-old boys, uh, Kevin, uh, 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 Daniel, and uh, who's, who's the last, who am I missing? What's that? Chris, they sit right in front of me with their Bibles open, listening to whatever it is that that we're taught here in some different ways. And so it's an incredible thing to be a part of. And we are going forward looking for some people to volunteer in some different ways. And so if you're interested, uh, Stephen and Rachel, can y'all just raise your hands? Uh, They're in the back. Would you just grab them at some point after the service and just kind of find out more? Maybe it's something you can help out with weekly. Maybe it's something you can help out with as we get ready to jump into this passage this morning. With that, let's pray and uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 7 together. God, I just remember as I was praying this morning, just I have great confidence preaching this passage this morning because you are eager as our Lord, our shepherd, you're eager as our Father to speak to us. You're not a God that has to be like gnawed at or pestered for attention. You give us your attention and you desire to speak your word into our lives right now. The people in this room, the people watching at home, you wanna speak to us. 
And your word is what was just read over us from this uh, passage. And so, Spirit of the living God, would you now uh, move in our midst, speak to us, and my prayer is that you would move us as your people from critical judges to siblings in your family that desire to use our words to build people up. God, would you move us this morning from critics to conveyors of grace in the way we approach our judgments and words that we speak over people? We pray that you would do that in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if I were to ask what you all do for fun, I would probably get some different answers. Uh, If I were to ask how many of you for fun work out, CrossFit, something like that. Anyone in the room you like to work out? Some of those. How about cook? Anyone enjoy pastime cooking, smoking meats, the highest form of cooking, in my opinion. Uh, That is the pinnacle of food preparation. Uh, Maybe some of you would say, I don't know, Frisbee golf or real golf or uh, lots of different hobbies that are found in the room, I would guess. How many of you, what I love in the affirmative is sit down, observe the flaws of people, and just point them out and discuss them with my friends. I just love to judge people. Kind of like in the movie Big Daddy with Adam Sandler, his favorite pastime was to go to the park and watch the rollerbladers fall down as they were coming around the the corner quickly. I'm kind of like that, except not just for rollerbladers, I'm that way for people in all of their life. If we're being honest this morning, every one of us, if we were being honest this morning, we would have to at least to some degree answer yes. Because all of us, to some measure, are judgmental, and we find some joy in it. It's a very odd thing. Like, what is it about us, for example, that will watch professional athletes and just take joy in giving our critical feedback to them? Oh, oh, if that Mahomes could just get the ball out faster, or if that defender could just uh, take better angles. Meanwhile, we're sitting on the couch with our 30 count of chicken nuggets as though we have anything to say uh, to this, and yet something about that we find joy in it. What is it about us that takes something, for example, like social media, a thing that was created good, and honestly, a thing that was created to build and maintain friendships, that's now, by and large, used to just take shots, speak ill, kind of anonymously condemn the things we don't like about the world? Or if you're not about social media, what is it about us that like to to just get a conversation rolling, one of the easiest things we can do is just throw out a critique, a complaint, something we don't like, and all of a sudden, we're all chiming in with our judgments and criticisms of that thing. What is it about us that not only makes us so judgmental, but actually the fact that we experience a lot of enjoyment doing so? We are judgmental towards others, I think. We are judgmental towards others because in some way, it helps us 
feel better about ourselves. It feels good to call out the athlete or to take a shot on social media or to have a little gossip session with our friends. But listen to me, just because being judgmental may feel good does not mean that it is good for you. In fact, embracing a critical, harsh spirit towards others will ruin the person that God has made you to be and ruin the role that he wants you to play in other people's lives. Just like eating that 30 count from Chick-fil-A may feel good in the moment, ultimately it's gonna make you unattractive and unproductive. So is embracing this sort of immediate feel-good critical spirit. It'll ruin the person that God is conforming you to. And so, friends, listen to me this morning. I think what the Lord Jesus wants to do in our lives this morning through his word is move us from critical judges to siblings that use our words to build one another up. God wants to move us this morning from being critical judges to being people who use our words, our assessments, our our engagements with people to actually build them up. That's what I think he wants to do this morning because God wants to use you not to spread venom and poison and bitterness and anger in your relationships. God wants to use you to transform people's lives for the better. And I think if we understand this passage rightly, it will help us with that. And so we're going to work our way through this passage. And what I want to begin by looking at with you is the difference between this. What is the difference between being judgmental and then what I'll just call it? What is the difference between being judgmental and building one another up? And let's begin looking at that by reading. We really don't even read it again. This is the most famous verse from the Bible in the modern age and the most misunderstood. Judge not. How many have ever had that used as a defense mechanism before by someone, you know, you'd like to point out some issue in their life and they're immediately, oh, judge not. Christians aren't supposed to judge. Mind your business. Uh, Maybe some of us have used this verse as a defense mechanism before. So, So what is Jesus saying here when he says, judge not that you be not judged? Is he basically inviting us sort of to turn our brain off turn our kind of cognitive faculties off that make assessments of things and never offer any sort of judgment or assessment of anything at all? Uh, Is Jesus uh, telling us here, hey, mind your own business. Don't ever speak about something that's evil. Don't ever encourage something that's good. Make no judgments whatsoever. Just move through life without making any sort of assessment about behavior or beliefs whatsoever. Is he telling us never to condemn something that's evil or to commend something that's good? Like what, what I think of when I, when I hear this understanding of this passage is uh, a little story that was run on the, the well-known podcast, This American Life, a number of years ago. And they ran a story about these stores that have uh, 100% guaranteed return policies. So uh, stores out there that will re- you, will, you can return your item no matter what. 
So for example, if you join like REI's uh, like program, uh, and they've actually changed this, but, but what used to be the case is that no matter what, no questions asked, you could bring the item you purchased back in uh, and get a full refund for, for what you purchased. And so here's how these scenarios would play out sometimes. Sometimes it'd be like somebody that you know, did a legitimate return, something didn't work after a week and they brought it back. But they would have people coming in with boots that were their uh, manufactured form. And they would bring them to the counter and to return them, all that was needed was an answer to this simple question. Sir, ma'am, were you satisfied with your purchase? And if the answer was no, okay. Those boots are 15 years old. Uh, the sole is falling off. They smell like death, but you say that you weren't satisfied. So no questions asked, no judgments, no assessments of what you've just said. Just take it, uh, you know, take the, take the uh, return as it is. Is that essentially the, 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 the kind of, of approach that Jesus is calling us to by calling us to, to not judge people? Just, hey, take people's actions, their lifestyle for what it is. Don't ever say anything about it. Just, hey, it is what it is and don't speak anything to it. I don't think that's what he's communicating for a couple of reasons. Here, here's the first reason. Number one, we were made in God's image. In other words, uh, the DNA of the divine finds itself in us. We are like God in, the way, in, the way, in a way that the rest of creation is not. And one of the things that stands out about God's character is that he is a righteous judge. He makes assessments of beliefs and behaviors and makes uh, declarations concerning those assessments. He calls things good and evil. And we being made in his image cannot help but, uh, but to look at the actions of our fellow humans and to similarly make assessments. We can't help but to do that. But secondly, I think another reason why Jesus isn't calling us to never judge people is because there's a whole bunch of verses in the New Testament, some immediately after these verses, that call us to make judgments. For example, Jesus tells us in 7.15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly by their fruit. Other times in the New Testament, we are told to evaluate uh, doctrine or teaching that is being given and to weigh it against the scriptures, to judge it, whether it's true or not. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul says, is it not those inside the household of faith that we are to judge? So friends, what Jesus is addressing here is not that we would never make any judgment whatsoever. What he's addressing is the sin of judgmentalism, being judgmental. And there's a very big difference between those things. I love how John Stott breaks down what judgmentalism is in his uh, uh, commentary on this passage. He describes being judgmental is a compound sin consisting of several unpleasant ingredients. It does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. A judgmental critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards others and actually enjoys seeking out their failings. They assume the worst of their motives, pour cold water on their plans, and are ungenerous towards their mistakes. That's being judgmental. And does that describe any of you this morning. 
Are you someone that actively seeks out the faults of others? Do you have an overall just negative view towards people? Do you enjoy finding faults in people? Are you prone to seeing someone do something and then immediately assuming the worst motives as though you have a better understanding of their motives than they do? Do you pour cold water on their plans? Are you ungenerous towards the mistakes of others? That's what Jesus is addressing in this passage. And friends, listen very closely. Sadly, place this in the church. Perhaps more than any other place. It, is not, it does not take long for us to be rescued by the radical grace of Jesus to then forgetting about that grace and moving towards this harsh, judgmental, critical attitude towards people. And listen to me, here's the challenge of identifying this sinful pattern. When it comes to the more obvious sins, it, it's very apparent. You know, it's easy for us to see the alcoholic, the adulterer, the person who has anger issues, but the judgmental critic, their, their sin is often masked by very moral behavior. Uh, uh, the, the judgmental critic often has very good church attendance, uh, is someone who tithes, is someone who's known for contending and defending for the truth, but make no mistake about it. Being judgmental is just as serious to the Lord Jesus as your alcoholism or adultery or any other big sin issue uh, that you want to label. He takes it very seriously. In fact, in Jesus' life, he reserved his harshest critiques towards those who had this kind of judgmental attitude. Does this describe you? Given the seriousness of it, it might be helpful for us to consider some of the places that this sort of judgmental attitude might show up. Let me just give you a few places to consider in your own life. Number one, gossip. I think gossip is one of the chief places this kind of judgment shows up. You are taking enjoyment and just kind of airing the dirty laundry of someone else and uh, you know, discussing all the juicy details with your friends about it. Gossip. Uh, being someone who just always points out the flaws, but it's never balanced with encouragement. So you've got lots of things that are wrong, but you don't say a lot to people in your life about what's right, good, and beautiful about them. It could show up in the way that you engage in social media. If you're constantly of judgmentalism is showing up, it could show up in having a little grace for people in your life when they fail. It could show up in just sort of being preoccupied with other people. That's sort of the theme of this passage. There's these people with these two by fours sticking out of their eyes, but somehow they're noticing all the specks in other people's eyes. One of the chief characteristics of Pharisees is that they're always focused on everybody else. And it's not that the other people aren't wrong, it's just that their main interest is other people rather than themselves. Are you constantly focused on the issues of other people? It could be the sin of judgmentalism. Are your judgments really just given to condemn and never given to redeem? Never to help someone grow. They only cover what's wrong, not what it could look like for someone to change, uh, grow, and be redeemed from, from that situation. 
He calls that out. This is, these are some places where this could exist in your life. And he, he gives this sort of judgmentalism a harsh warning. Let's continue reading. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. In other words, what Jesus is saying to judgmental people is this. What goes around comes around. If you are going to hold all the people in your life to a very high standard with no room for grace, be careful because the very same thing is gonna end up happening to you. You will be judged by the measure that you judge other people. Tony Evans told a great story about a little girl. She's about five years old. One day she went up to her mother and she made uh, a, perhaps an um, insensitive observation to her mother. This five-year-old went to her mother and said, hey, mom, why do you have gray hairs growing in? And the mother responded, well, little one, each of these gray hairs is for a time that you disobeyed me. <laughs> the little girl stood there and thought about it for a second, and she looked back at her mother and said, oh, so you're the reason grandma only has gray hairs. <laughs> what goes around comes around. With the judgment you give, it will be given back to you. So Jesus gives a... Because when you fail and when you don't measure up, you're going to find the same judgmental, critical spirit being given to you. That's what judgmentalism is. Can we then consider what, what it looks like on the other end for us to offer evaluation, assessment, and, and judgments in a way that builds people up? So uh, let's consider that. The point of this passage is not to remove judgment altogether. The abuse of a thing never rules out its proper use. And there is a proper use for us to make judgments, especially within the household of God. Notice the, the point of Jesus' whole thing about the log sticking out of uh, one person's eye uh, and the speck in the other is that they need to remove the log so that what? They can never say anything about anyone? No. They remove the log so that they might be able to see clearly and remove the speck that is in their brother's eye. Because listen, a, a speck in someone's eye, that could be significant. At the very least, it's uncomfortable. But, but, but some foreign object in your eye left unchecked, that could cause damage to your eye. Eventually, you could go blind. And so certainly, we want to have people in our lives that if there's something dangerous, something that could damage us or ultimately destroy us, we would want people who would be able to speak to that and help us with it. And this is one of the main characteristics of the wise person in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is all about helping you live well, to live a life that's, that's wise and, and flourishes and, and thrives. And let me give you a couple Proverbs that, that I think capture what Jesus is after here. Proverbs 27, 6 says the following. The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but the kisses of an enemy are profuse. In other words, Friends will sometimes hurt us a little bit, but to do so in a way that helps us. Uh, fr friends, uh, it, it may hurt for a ultimate at the, uh, so that it can ultimately be done for your good. And out of the book of Proverbs, I say this one to my kids all the time. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, 
but he who hates correction is a fool. The translation I use with my kids is he who hates correction is stupid. (laughs) If you don't want people to speak into your life uh, and to tell you when things are, are off, that's one of the most foolish things that you can do. So don't mistake what Jesus is saying here is setting up an environment where we never speak to one another, especially when there's a, a problem in our lives. He's saying correction and judgments in this regard ought to be offered. And the difference is this. When we offer judgments from a critical spirit, from, a ju- from judgmentalism, we enjoy pointing out flaws. Brotherly building finds joy in seeing people grow, change, be more like Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Judgmentalism enjoys uh, seeing people judged uh, simply for the fact of complaining and criticizing. But, but building one another up uh, through our judgments is done with the joy of seeing people changed and transformed. I think Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, captures this really well. You can feel free to turn over there. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Ephesians four twenty-nine. this is another great one for your kids at home. Uh, words that you give that just tear down. Uh, uh, that, 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 that bring people lower. Uh, but on the other hand, let only come out, or, but only such is good for what? Building up. In other words, this. If you're gonna offer a judgment of someone that is not meant to build them up, keep that judgment to yourself. It's not necessary. But if you're gonna offer judgment that can help people build them up, it continues to say that fits the occasion and gives grace to those who hear. That's the kind of judgment and and speaking to one another that Jesus welcomes. And so can we just talk practically very briefly about just some steps we can take when we wanna offer a judgment in someone's life that is meant to, to build them up. Here's, I think, some steps that we can take Number one, if we're going to make a judgment of someone in our lives that we see an issue in their life, we need to do what, like Jesus said, hey, recognize you probably have some faults and they most likely are worse than the one you're addressing in this person. So Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? If you're gonna speak to someone, it's helpful to recognize, is there anything in my own life that I need to address first before I speak to them? The second thing that I would encourage you to do if you're gonna uh, speak a word like this into someone's life is to spend some time praying. Praying in two directions. First, praying about yourself. God, I might not be able to see clearly with my own sin issues in my life for me to speak to this person. Would you search me, know me, convict me of anything in my life that uh, uh, that, that, that you wanna deal with before you deal with this person? And then secondly, we should pray for that person. Pray that they would have ears to hear. Pray that we would have words that would fit the occasion and actually give grace to them in the situation that they're facing. I think uh, third, we wanna come when we're going to bring a judgment or an assessment or a word of correction to someone's life with a gracious and humble attitude. This is so vital. He sets the atmosphere of that conversation with the following words immediately after. So you're gonna speak to someone to build them up, and then he says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor 
and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another and tender-hearted. Come to that person with a word of correction, with a heart that's soft, a heart that's humble, a heart that's filled with kindness and love. And then finally, as we're to offer these kinds of judgments or words of correction or warning to people, we need to recognize this. Not everyone will be in a position to receive them. I think that's the point of these pretty strong words down in verse six of chapter seven. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot, turn and attack you. Hey, there may be some people that have just a humble demeanor that are like, man, brother, sister, thank you for speaking that. I wanna pray about that. I wanna consider what that could look like in my life. There are other people uh, that giving a word of judgment or correction to them would be like giving pearls to a pig. They don't see any value in it. Uh, They don't even know what to do with it. They would just trample it in the mud. There are people that are that way and you have to pray and wisely discern the difference. Proverbs says, do not answer a fool according to their folly. There may be some people God with them, but if you're going to come, make sure that you come with the previous steps that we just indicated. That, I think, is the difference between just a critical spirit that just enjoys judging people versus an upbuilding spirit that wants to see people transformed and redeemed. That's the difference between judgmentalism, I'll just call it. We move on. We've got to deal, I actually think, with a deeper problem, a deeper question that we have to ask ourselves. Because it's one thing to say, hey, don't be judgmental. There's something else going on, though, that we need to tackle. where we need to ask the question, why are we so judgmental in the first place? Like, what is it about us that finds such enjoyment in noticing the worst and almost never speaks to the best? Why are we, as human beings, even as followers of Jesus, prone to being judgmental? I think Jesus asks the same question in verse three. Why? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? In, order, in other words, problems abound. The person you want to speak to has problems, but you've got problems of your own. Why is it that you are so preoccupied with the problems of other people? Why are we so judgmental? And I think the answer is found in the same reason that back in the Garden of Eden, when God calls out Adam's sin, he immediately responds by saying, it's the woman you gave me. Or it's the same reason why in my house I can hear a loud smack. No one asked a human handprint on the back of one of my children Go and ask the perpetrator, why did you do that? And they immediately shift the blame to, well, they took my toy or they did this or they did that. I think it's the same reason that you approach, when you approach someone facing an addiction, they'll immediately deflect and say, it's my parents' fault, it's my life circumstances' fault, it's my spouse's fault, it's my kid's fault. Why are we so preoccupied with the issues in other people's lives rather than our own. I think it's because we, and so we think that if we can point point someone else's out, it will hide our own. 
We cannot handle being fully exposed with all of the flaws and sins that we have in our own life, and so we deflect away to someone else, thinking that by deflecting to someone else, we will do better for ourselves. Another way we could uh, describe this, as we called it earlier in the beginning of the year when Brian preached uh, the story of Martha and Mary, is comparative self-righteousness. All of us want to be right. All of us long to be on the right side of the scale of judgment. But because we recognize we are not right, what we sometimes will do is compare ourselves to people we deem worse off than ourselves and thereby feeling better about ourselves. But you know the sad thing about comparative self-righteousness? We always look down. We always look at the sins of people that are perhaps worse than our own to feel better about ourselves rather than looking up at the perfect standard of God's law. We cannot bear to compare ourselves to God's standard, and so we find people we deem lower than ourselves point out their flaws, uh, feeling good about ourselves, thinking that by pointing out their flaws, we're somehow better off, but we're not. We're not. We may feel better in the moment, but it, when we compare ourselves and judge people worse off than ourselves, we introduce a whole nother set of problems. When we judge other people hoping to feel better about ourselves, what we actually end up doing in the end is condemning ourselves. Condemning ourselves. I want you to see it in the beginning of Romans chapter one. Would you turn over there with me? Romans chapter one, we're gonna look beginning in verse 28. All of humanity, like we read earlier in our prayer of confession, condemned in our sins. And so Paul concludes chapter one by just reading our mail, calling out some very obvious sins, and he begins in verse 28. Listen to these closely. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So Paul is judging the people listening to this letter. He is listing out the things that we do that are evil. And as he's listing out all of these sins, it's as though he imagines someone in the church listening to the letter that he's reading. So he's just going after it, calling out all kinds of areas of sin. And it's as though he imagines sitting in the very front row, somebody with their Bible open, nodding their head, saying, amen, Paul, get them. 
you know, I've been doing a lot of judging around here. It's about time somebody else, uh, you know, help carry a bit of the load. You tell all those evildoers how evil they are. Which brings Paul to say the following in the beginning of chapter two. Therefore, you have no excuses, oh, all you sinful people. No. Therefore, you have no excuses, every one of you who judges. He calls out the person sitting in the front row for in passing judgment on another, you don't make yourself more righteous. In passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice these things yet do them themselves will escape the judgment of God? So the person's up there in the front probably just amening Paul for all of these horrible sins that Paul's condemning and just applauding it and judging with him, failing to realize some of the other things that are listed in the same list. He calls out adulterers and murderers, but guess who else he calls out? Gossips, those who covet, those who are envious. And there is not a person in this room that is exempt from the sins that are found on that list. But we tend to think to ourselves, if we can just point out the flaws of other people, that'll make it better for ourselves. In doing that, we only end up condemning ourselves. Think about the story of the woman caught in adultery. There's some fired up dudes that are ready to pass judgment. A woman has been caught sleeping with someone that is not her spouse. So they take her out. And you can tell with the crowd, there's a bit of a glee and excitement. I mean, I don't know what it is about us as human beings, but to sort of get caught up in a, in a mob like that, we sort of feel this sense of self-righteousness. And so there they are. They are ready to deal with this sin. I mean, they are ready to condemn it. And so their, their stones are held up. They're ready to throw them. And then Jesus calls out their judgmentalism. Okay. You who has no sin, throw the first stone. It's at that moment they realized that in holding up that stone against that woman, they also held up that stone over their very own heads. Because as and there is no amount of blame shifting, comparing yourself to the sins of other people that can cover up your own sin. There's none. But the good news of the gospel is we don't have to compare ourselves to others to feel righteous. We can actually become righteous through faith and faith alone in Jesus. So let's look over at Romans 3. 23. We already read it this morning, and it could not be more relevant for the predicament we find ourselves in as human beings. The first three chapters come to this conclusion. There is no one who is righteous, whether you are a judgmental person, whether you are just a completely reckless sinner, doesn't matter. There is no one who is righteous. Verse 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Here Paul is comparing us to a standard. That standard is not the sins of people worse than us. The standard is the glory of God. And it does not matter who you are, every last one of us falls short of that standard. And so here we stand, uh, not measuring up to God's standard. Uh, We stand condemned, but the opposite is spoken of us, spoken over us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and then the best words in the Bible, and are justified. What does that mean, to be justified? It means that God looks at you and knows you don't measure up, but instead of condemning you, says, not guilty, not guilty of any sin. In fact, not only does justified mean that you're not guilty, being justified means that you stand completely perfect in the eyes of God. Being justified means that you perfectly measure up to God's righteous be declared. How can that be when we have so much sin in our life? How can we be declared so perfect when we are so sinful? Here's how. We are justified by his grace. God's grace is his undeserved love in your life. None of you deserve God's love. He gives it to you through the redift. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That means all of us don't measure up. All of us stand condemned, but we've been redeemed out of that situation and declared righteous. How is that possible? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. It's a big word. What does that mean? Propitiation is a sacrifice that is offered to remove God's wrath from your life. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us stands under the justice of God to be condemned and receive his unrelenting wrath. Jesus jumped out in front of us as God's wrath was coming towards us and took all of that judgment upon himself. What he gives in the place of our sin is his perfect life. So we never We measure up on the basis of the redemption that is found in Jesus, which means that we don't have to compare ourselves to people and we don't have to be afraid when people want to call things out in our lives because we're already declared righteous in the sight of God. What could they possibly take away that's been already given to us through Christ? And so this morning as we get ready to take communion, please remember this. You are at this moment, if you are in Christ, declared righteous, justified. There is no claim the law of God has on you. You are justified, stand righteous in the sight of God. How? The body of Jesus Christ, the body represents his perfect life. There was one perfect human being, one human being who measured up to God's standard. And now that that perfection, that righteousness is given to you freely as a gift. Just as life. And then you're going to drink the cup that symbolizes that propitiation. Jesus' blood was poured out so the wrath of God that stands over you might be taken away. His blood covers all your sin. You now stand perfected in his sight. God looks over you. Though you are sinful, he declares you 
righteous. So remember that this morning as you take communion. If you're here this morning, you're far from God. You've not placed your faith in Jesus. Let me encourage you not to take the elements of communion. We do believe that those are for those who have given their lives to Jesus and now fully trust him. Instead, I want to invite you to experience what is perhaps the most powerful experience a human being can experience. A lot of us want God to speak to us, like, hey, God, I would believe in you or I would follow you if you would speak to me. What God actually offers us in the gospel, beyond simply speaking to us, is speaking over us. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. But through Jesus Christ, he can speak over you the verdict, not guilty, forgiven, loved, accepted. There is nothing you can do to come to that place through your own effort. It can only be experienced by putting your faith in what Jesus has done to redeem you. So there's the invitation this morning. Have God Almighty speak those words over you justified, righteous, accepted. If you want to talk more about what that means, I would be eager to do so as maybe anyone you know here. For now, though, let's pray together. I want you to contemplate some of the judgments that you have towards people. And then I want you to contemplate what God has done in his judgment over you. Take those elements and realize this is how God judged me. He sent his son to stand in my place. Remember that as you take those elements this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy. We do not measure up. There is no amount of striving or working we could ever do to meet your standard. And yet you justify us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God, would we now take this mercy that you've given to us and would we be really, really generous towards the other people who fail us in our lives. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.